welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day, none other than Jackson White, co-founder, editor-in-chief of Politoscope, TYT, Rebel, HQ, HQ creator, all-star, and host of Politics and Paper. Always fascinating to have his analysis. Top story of the day. Yep, they're back to the blueprint. Donald Trump says something very racist. And instead of holding leaders accountable, they dust off a black conservative to go on national news to talk about how not racist the comment was. Now, I want to take you back to the original statement Donald Trump made and the now proclamation of black conservatives. Here it is. I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. Okay, now on Meet the Press, all right? Black conservative goes to Meet the Press, Byron Donalds, to defend Trump's statement. Here it is. It sounds like Donald Trump was implying that he can win black voters because they get indicted all the time, too. Is that what he was saying? Well, I think it's in part of that. It's part of it, Kristen. Look, the, the, it was a great night, Friday night in Columbia, South Carolina. The president was really just enjoying himself. It was a great celebration for black conservatives across our country. But let's be very clear. Our economy is a mess. Our border is completely unsecured. These things are causes of major concerns for black voters like it is for every voter in our country. But then when you layer on the fact that, yes, this is political persecution from the Department of Justice and from from radical DAs throughout our country, this is something similar that black people had to deal with the, with the justice system themselves. And so their, their look of it is real simple. Well, dang, if the government's going after him with foolishness, uh, he can't be that bad, especially considering the fact that Joe Biden is terrible at his job. Well, con Congressman, let's just be clear. All four indictments against former President Trump were brought by grand juries. There is no evidence that the indictments are political. Let's put up the picture full mass. We are inviting uh, this brother on the program at Indisputable. Hopefully he does respond to the invite. Congressman Byron Donalds, Republican out of Florida. Defended former President Donald Trump's remarks about being indicted and how black voters can now relate to him. Kristen Welker, NBC's Meet the Press, she did a great job. I was with her a few months ago. Um, at an event for the Multicultural Media Association. Wonderful person. I thought she did a great job pushing back at the narrative. But let me say this to keep that picture up. Do you not find it ironic? Duck, dodge, deny, and deflect, which is a protocol of established politicians. But do you not find it ironic that the black congressman who happens to be a conservative, Byron Donalds, he doesn't get called to talk about things that are generally policy related. The GOP doesn't want him out front. They only dust him off, polish him up, and give him talking points when he is an apologist for racist inside of the party. Number one. Number two, the irony of saying that Donald Trump 
somehow gets the connection between mass incarceration, overcharging, out of control DAs and black people or the plight of blackness in America, while at the same time denying that systemic racism even exists in the United States of America. But when it is for the goal of landing a political point, not only would Donald Trump exploit the moment, but all of his race denying fans would do the same. They gave him a round of applause as if they believe that black people do not get a fair shake in this country. Because that's contrary to their policy and their rhetoric. Okay, let's get into it. Um, so quote, and then I got indicted a second time and then a third time and a fourth time, Trump said. And a lot of people said, that's why the black people like me. Yeah. I'm a criminal. See, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, was his point. Crowd goes wild. Yeah, yeah, black people like Trump. That's all we care about. Um, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. Look at that. That's a, that's a direct quote from Donald Trump. Because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. Wait a minute. Nikki Haley says America has never been a racist country. Um, the guy that's probably going to be your um, house Negro, I mean, running mate, Tim Scott, that senator said, no, 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 we, we can't focus on racism. America's not a racist country. But Trump said, discriminated against black people. There's more. It's been pretty amazing. Um, Congressman, it sounds like Donald Trump, she says, was implying that he can win black voters because they get indicted all the time too. Welker said, is that what he was saying? Question, the congressman acknowledges that's part of it. Where? Where in the policy is a part of it? We understand it was part of the speech for the moment, but where is it in the policy? Because according to the narrative, they do not believe discrimination against black people actually exists. Obviously, discrimination against Donald Trump exists, according to them but not against black people. Uh, so let's put them up full mass. Uh, this brother to me contextualized it perfectly because Cedric Richmond, former congressman, by the way, he's now the campaign co-chair for Biden. Uh, he has something to say. He said, quote, Donald Trump claiming that black Americans will support him because of his criminal charges is insulting. Richmond said, it's moronic and it's just plain racist. Donald's responded by taking a shot at the former congressman. Quote, Cedric is trying to play politics and use racial politics, he said. And then Welker posed a question to the congressman. Were you offended at all by his comments, congressman? Let's put up the congressman again, um, put up Donald's again. He responds to Kristen Welker and says, no, I wasn't because I understood what the president was talking about. That's what you call step and fetch. 
this individual has decided to occupy a leadership position, trick individuals who voted for him in his local district that he is somehow a person with a backbone. And he gets on national news and embarrasses his mama and his entire family. <laughs> All right, uh, dear brother, when I saw this, I said, you gotta be kidding me. All of the hypocrisy from everybody involved uh, being front and center, and nobody's talking about the reality, they are adverse to the policy of discrimination. What say you? Well, I mean, Byron Donalds knows exactly what he's doing. And this is some of the reality of being a politician, you know, um, which way are you going to go and who are you going to align with? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a goofy equivocation to pretend like Donald Trump um, is in any type of a similar position that, you know, poor black people have been in within the criminal justice system, maybe because they got caught up in gang life or they got, who knows, you know, selling drugs, whatever it is, could be anything, could be a number of things. It could be the foster care system, all types of stuff. Like Donald Trump is a spoon fed, spoiled moron, really. One of the funniest things uh, real quick about Donald Trump's base is like how well, how well aware they are that Donald Trump is just a big goofball because they always try to say, well, you know, look at the things that Joe Biden says. And then you could acknowledge that. You can say, yeah, Joe Biden makes mistakes in X, Y, and Z, and he's falling short here. And yeah, he's a bit of a goofy guy. But that doesn't make people like subservient to Biden. Like it's not mm -hmm. like we want Joe Biden to be our, our king, our God king. Like it's just yeah. not the same. Um, but yeah, I mean, Byron knows that there's no real equivocation with Donald Trump and um in black people in anything in anything along those lines he's just doing what he's there to do he's he's a member of the republican party there you go all right hopefully leadership will rise at some point there's a federal investigation because two homes in mississippi have exploded mysterious circumstances federal agency is investigating put up the picture full mass one fatality already is so sad. Federal agency released a preliminary report on its investigation into two back-to-back -back home explosions that happened within days of each other in Jackson, Mississippi. We raised a lot of money for Jackson, Mississippi right here. And also a lot of awareness to the plight of their drinking water and some other things happening. This explosion or these explosions resulted in the death of an 82-year-old woman, according to the Mississippi Free Press. The first home on Bristle Boulevard exploded January 24th, killing Miss Clara Barber. You see her there. Another person inside the home was able to escape. Three days later, a home less than one mile away on Shalimar, drive exploded. That home was actually vacant. No one was hurt. Both homes were destroyed completely. The National Transportation Safety Board investigated both explosions to determine if they were connected in any way and if gas leaks or substandard infrastructure were to blame. The agency released its prelim report weeks after the explosions, stating that Atmos Energy Corporation, the company that provides natural gas 
to the houses identified, quote, non-hazardous leaks in their distribution system near the homes before they exploded. But the company did not repair them at the time of their discovery. NTSB later discovered that the operating pressure of the pipeline running under the neighborhood was about 336 pounds per square inch um, PSIG, your pressure, uh, which is below its maximum operational level. Quote, both before and after NTSB investigators arrived, Atmos conducted post-accident leak inspections at both locations and found leaks on mechanical couplings near the previously identified leaks. The NTSB report stated, quote, Atmos detected subsurface gas at the leaks nearest locations, one and two, the homes where the explosions occurred and near the foundations of the adjacent homes. Residents who live near Miss Barber's home were forced to evacuate the days after the 82-year-old's home exploded. Crews dug up the yards of multiple homes on Bristol Boulevard. One resident told WAPT News that Atmos informed her they had to replace the gas lines. Why? Why did they have to replace the gas lines? Atmos also checked for leaks in nearby neighborhoods. The Mississippi Free Press reported that a Central District Mississippi Public Service Commission um, official and multiple Jackson City Council members met with community members in several meetings in the weeks after the explosions where residents questioned Atmos Energy representatives about the safety of the gas pipelines running under their homes. Quote, we're going to look at everybody that digs in the ground, Commissioner D. Kether Stamps said at one of the community meetings. Quote, we're not letting Atmos off the hook at all. There's other folks running cable lines and broadband and water and sewer. We're going to look at everybody. NTSB will release a second report that is supposed to paint a better picture of what caused the explosions and reveal whether any safety measures were overlooked. It could take anywhere between 12 and 24 months to complete. While the NTSB is typically known for investigating civilian aircraft and train accidents, incidents involving natural gas pipelines are also under the agency's purview. But let me say this, it is rare that they exercise jurisdictional authority in a matter like this. And I'm going to say on record, I truly believe the reason they did is because they had other information. Maybe a tipster, maybe a whistleblower from said company. Because for them to get involved and for them to investigate this swiftly and come up with a conclusive investigative report this quickly is, well, let's just say unheard of. Now, there's this other element of, well, why would a gas company be able to basically launch their own investigation and still tamper with the pipelines while the investigation is going on of a federal agency investigating them? It's convoluted, obviously. So what do we have in Jackson, Mississippi? You have a tainted water supply. Now you have exploding gas pipes. Jackson is per capita the blackest major city in the United States of America. More black people live in Jackson than any other major city in the entire country. All right, that's the thoughts here. 
So I think, you know, when you really zoom out, this is a good example of the impacts of, of culture and how much, you know, the idea that major corporations don't really need as much oversight and that a lot of political resources have been put into shifting capital out of the middle class. And so you've looked at the commoditization of pretty much every uh, privatization, rather, or the yeah. attempt of privatization of pretty much every uh, area of society. The stock market being so much of the emphasis on what the economy is, even though we know um, there's a lot more variables and aspects to it in terms of how much debt people have and how much just general economic access and opportunity people may have. Um, but as you pointed out, not only is uh, Jackson the blackest city uh, in the country, but also Mississippi, if if I recall correctly, is the poorest state in the union. That's correct. It's the poorest state in the union. So we see uh, example after example, whether it be this, tainted water supplies all over the country, failing infrastructure, uh, wildfires not being able to be properly contained, levees breaking. Um, you know, we just see that our infrastructure is more expensive to fix now than it would have been if we just stayed on top of it over the decades. Yep. So this really is what government should be doing. And this is what government does best. It's making sure that people's general needs are met in terms of their safety, being able to trust their water, being able to trust that, you know, the pipes aren't going to explode, things like that. So unfortunately, um, despite the fact that the United States is as wealthy as it is, um, we have these kinds of issues just because of neglig negligence and corruption. Yep, and um, political agendas, obviously, adverse to taking care of people. Um, we're going to follow this story naturally. We'll bring you updates as they come. But I wanted to make this video because I was just discriminated against in Ulta. Now, if you know me, I have never even thought about stealing the thought of stealing the thought of putting anything out in the world that's not peace, kindness, and love. I take no part in it. I walked into this altar that I always go into. It's my neighborhood altar in Altamont Springs, Florida. I'm a teacher. I do my makeup every day. Like I go in there, I talk to people all the time. When I walked in that store, the first young lady I saw, I gave her a compliment on how beautiful her skin is. When I go into the world, I give love, I give kindness. I am a light in all the dark places I walk in. That's why I had to stop and pray over this young lady because I think she thought my response would be hostile, but I have no hostility in me because I have total peace. But I pray that the CEO sees this video and understand that Altamont Springs, Florida, Miss Denise Olsman or whatever her name is, that you no longer have her on your team. The way I was discriminated against is disgusting. And if you pull the cameras, you can see I was a regular customer in the store doing regular customer things. Wow. Let's put up the picture full mass. I guarantee you the company is aware or will be aware even more. On January 27th, TikTok user and teacher Elle Chardonnay says she was harassed and discriminated against by an Alta Beauty employee in Florida, where she says she actually is a frequent patron. Ms. Elle explains that she was on a walk, no makeup, 
hair up in a wrap, gym clothes, no wallet. But she was going to use her digital wallet on her phone. That is now normative. So she decided to stop by her local Alta for a few things with her best friend. While in the store, Elle was looking at multiple products when she was approached by an employee who asked her if she needed a basket or assistance. Elle says she took the basket and placed um, and placed a lip liner, body scrub, and eyelashes inside of it. Then she searched for her friend inside the store so they could check out. The employee asked Elle if she needed help again, but she declined help. She did not need help anymore. <clears throat> While Elle and a friend were in the perfume section, the employee followed them. She told the woman to use the tester and not open the boxes as they headed to the checkout line. The employee asked her friend again if she needed a basket. Quote, so now my best friend is annoyed and she's like, no, I don't need a basket. I only have one item. Can you stop asking me if I need a basket? I only have one item. The woman recalled a friend saying to the employee. The employee explained that she was missing items from the shelf and asked them if they have seen them. Okay, you all, if something like that happened to me, you all want me to just go full Glenwood now. Have I seen your items that are missing on a shelf? Okay, there's more. The products the employee described were in Elle's basket because she was buying them. Elle said her friend started to film the interaction because they felt like they were being harassed and were shocked by the employee's behavior. The employee named Denise, who said she was the experience manager, told someone to call the police because she, she felt attacked. Elle and her friend remained outside of the store until an officer arrived at the scene. Elle claimed she told the cop her side of the story before he went into the store. But after he spoke to the manager, he told Elle and her friend that they had been trespassing since they had gotten into a confrontation with the employee. Elle said he took a picture of her and ordered her to go to another location. This is how she felt. I was so hurt. My heart was hurt. I've never stolen anything in my life. The thought of stealing never comes up in my mind. I go in that store all the time. I'm a middle school teacher. I always go in there with my makeup done. I'm fully in my professional attire. I have great interactions in this store. This was the first day I went up in there and I had my hair wrapped up because I went for a walk. I did not have on makeup. I just had on my regular gym clothes. I had no personal bag. And I was harassed in this manner. And I'm so heartbroken that the police came out and he still treated me as if I was trespassing. And he said, because there was an altercation, there was no altercation. I never used profanity. I never raised my voice. I prayed of the young woman and I stayed there until the police got there. And I was still, I still was trespassed, which I was never going to go back there anyway. I would never go back to another altar at all. But the fact that that was the solution for a problem of discrimination is crazy. I concur. Um, Elle's video went viral. It got over 2 million views on the platform. In a follow-up video, she said Alta's headquarters reached out to her to rectify the situ situation after reviewing her case. Obviously, they found that she was correct. She was not in violation of anything. Quote, they offered her a personal experience at one of their locations and a $200 gift card. End quote. It's unclear if the employee was terminated, but in the statement to Atlanta Black Star, an Alta spokesperson confirmed that they had looked into the incident. Quote, we always work 
to create welcoming and inclusive guest experiences. And we're truly disheartened to learn we fell short of this guest expectations. The statement said, immediately after reviewing the incident, we implemented the highest levels of corrective action and reinforced our commitments and practices with our store team. Okay, um, interesting and ironic. Uh, you know, if if it's if black people or black women in particular, if they don't shop at all, to alter goes bankrupt today. You understand that? To treat your primary consumer base in this manner is antithetical to common sense. Uh, naturally, there's a response, in my opinion, that is wholly inappropriate. Two hundred dollar gift card. Uh, we have done the corrective action we could do, and uh, we we failed her expectations. No, you failed. Your damn self, and you also failed those who are free-thinking individuals in this country and beyond. Uh, Jackson, uh, to go to a store, you frequent, right? You go there. You you are one of the reasons that local store is established and profitable to be treated this way, not only by the store manager but then by the police. Um. Well, I think one of the realistic things about franchises is that, you know, you're dealing with so many stores under a whole lot of different kinds of management. So, um, you know, if if she got a $200 gift card and she got some type of, you know, uh, something back for it, I guess that's good. But, um, you know, I mean, I guess it's just she she got something for it. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't really yeah. have much else more to say about it other than I guess it worked that uh, she made the video. But, yeah, um, to me, you know, to me, so. that's the that's the biggest, probably gray lining or silver lining in this is that people all notice now yeah. um, that this happened, and, and to it her. can it can maybe move towards policy shifts or paying more attention to stuff. But um, Alta's a very very big franchise, so yeah. you know you just got to go at like a store by store, region by region basis and see how it works. So well, even though it's a franchise, dear brother. Corporate is responsible for the bottom line and the policies being enforced in a uniform manner. That's the reason you have a franchise license rather than direct ownership. My car is damaged. My car is damaged. Where? It's right here. If you want to see, why are you hitting my car, lady? It has. It's not damaged. You bitch. Would you tell her to get away from me? She's crazy. You know, just took, you know, took me to, you know. And it's not damaged. I mean, usually what you're supposed to do you don't, you don't in an accident to, yeah. is we exchange information. You bitch. You don't have to do that. You are a crazy bitch. Is she driving away? Have we let him? Yeah. Huh? Let's go ahead and put the picture up full of mass here. I don't think I have enough college degrees to navigate all of the complexities of this story. So this is a viral video of an exchange between two drivers. They were at a Costco in California. The Instagram user shared the 51 second video on the platform Thursday. 
She said she was backing out of her parking space when another woman decided to reverse her car and allegedly hit her. In the video, the woman could be seen slapping the back of the vehicle, which appears to have some minor damage. She argued it was not damaged. Keep the picture up because ironically, I've been in a similar situation years ago where someone hit my vehicle. I was at a red light. They did not stop in time. They hit my bumper. It had a slight variation, just like you just saw. And I assumed there was no damage because I was able to basically push it back in place. No problem. Shook hands. We went on. About two weeks later, my damn bumper fell off because there are clamps inside of the inner workings of that bumper that typically are either A, broken in that moment or B, bent and they will wear down. So to say there's no damage, well, you got to look inside first. And then to likely damage the car even more by hitting it, well, that needs to be examined as well. But the audacity to not only call her the B word, I'm going to assume, madam, because you're at Costco, you're shopping, you got a license, you're driving a car, you you understand how to, you know, negotiate life. You hit someone, you then hit their vehicle, you call them the B word, you hug one of the nicest black men I've ever seen, and then you drive off. Now you have a hit and run. There is absolutely no ambiguity about your responsibility during a traffic stop. And once again, I submit, I assume you know the rules because you have a car, you're driving like a little license. If you got a Costco's car, damage, you got a license. Guarantee you that. The let's put up the picture of the uh, the hug. Um, I just got to give it up for how amazing black people are. I mean, this brother was calm, he was cool, he was nice, he was courteous. The young lady who was being called a B word, nice, courteous. Uh, did not overreact, really didn't even aggressively react to this, just beautiful people. Uh, she was lucky, the Karen was lucky that day, she ran into some very beautiful souls um, who did not have any aggression toward her. And uh, this is a dangerous narrative, ladies and gentlemen, because if somebody else would have been in that position and she's running to them saying, hey, protect me, help me, this woman is crazy, something bad could happen to the woman she's talking about. All right, Jackson, that was the best narrative I could provide. What's that? <laughs> My man has had enough. He looked like he about to quit tonight. <laughs> right. That was <laughs> right. that that was his final straw. He looked like five hours ago he reached this point. Like there's <laughs> right. just there's just nothing left. He was just staring like, and nobody really knew what to do because what would you do in it? That's like the last thing you would expect to happen. You might expect people to get violent before you expect someone to just yeah. come over and that was out of the box thinking for sure. Yeah, she, jet, was- she Jedi mind tricked everybody. Exactly. She just acted so strange that people just didn't know what to do. And and it's and and then the woman who was recording, like she wasn't, you know, sometimes you just can't really get upset because it's just like, what? Like, are you okay? You know, like that's one of those things. Yeah. You look at her and it's like, I don't think you okay right now. So I'm not, you know, my bumper isn't totally destroyed. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you go on about your day. I hope you make it home safely because you probably shouldn't be driving right now. But uh, yeah, that was that was definitely one of the best Karen videos we've gone <laughs> over that since I've been on the show for yeah. sure. Yeah, I don't know what to say, but yeah, I, 
my man's is I hope he get he he should get something for that. I don't know yeah. what it is, but give him something. Key to the city. Right. Exactly. All right. We've covered something like this before. Once again, mock slave auction targeting students. Let me first take you to Massachusetts, put up the picture full mass. This is Southwick, Massachusetts. Authorities are now investigating an explosive episode of racial bullying connected with Southwick Regional School after white students allegedly hosted a slave auction. This was on social media in which bids were placed on black classmates. A group of students at Southwick Regional High have been accused of creating an online slave auction in a Snapchat group called Black People Are Low Class, end quote. According to NBC10 Boston, the group of students allegedly placed bids on black students at Southwick for $2 and $4. Before I go into some of the prior incidents, I want to remind you that conservatives will take some extreme story that's likely completely untrue to make a policy or political point. For example, they will say, "Oh, you got children saying that they identify as cats now. That's the big problem in my school. Completely false. Not a problem at all. It's absurd. But they will utilize that extreme position in order to make a political policy or partisan point, right? But then you have real situations, plural, like this one. They provide no leadership. They provide absolutely no remedy. They barely provide any response. So prior to the incident, white students also allegedly Hurled racial slurs toward black female students. That's according to the Springfield branch of the NAACP. A mother of a black student at the school filed a civil complaint after she said her daughter was the primary target in both incidents. Allison Lopez claims her child has now faced discrimination at Southwick Regional High School for multiple months, culminating in the mock auction. In the middle of Black History Month, the girl's name was being withheld because she is a minor, and we respect that. The Southwick Tallinn Granville Regional School District completed its investigation on the 16th of February, turned, it, uh, turned over their findings to the um, Hampton District Attorney's Office, Attorney uh, DA Anthony, uh, Anthony Guluni, to determine whether criminal charges. Should be filed. Um, it, it, it's ironic they deal with it inside of the school first, but no, no, let's send to the DA's office for criminal charges. School officials said they were limited in what they could reveal about who was involved in the incident due to strict laws protecting student privacy, but they assured the community that appropriate disciplinary actions were taken. Um, now, I'm going to say this about their original statement they can't talk about this, can't talk about that. That's a lie, all right? They cannot. Specifically, identify students that cannot talk directly about the student and disciplinary action. They cannot do that. But they can generally tell you what policies they have enacted. They can generally tell you what they will and will not accept. And they can generally tell you 
what they are going to do different moving forward. But they did not. The school district faced controversy in 2022 when a boy's bathroom was vandalized with racist graffiti. With the principal calling the incident one of the most disrespectful and hateful acts he had ever witnessed. Other mock slave auctions, let's go to Oregon. A similar incident happened back in 2021. Newburgh High School shared photos of two black classmates captured. $100 each and another melanin deficient ingrate respondent. I'll take them for 150 as the pair. That year in Missouri, four students at Park Hill South High School were disciplined after petition seeking to restart slavery was posted on social media. In 2022, North Carolina, JS Water School, where some of the white baseball players carried out a mock slave auction with one student, went for $350. Another student was the quote, slave master because he knew how to handle them, end quote. And the list goes on and on and on. You see, this is bullying too. Remember that entire campaign against bullying in the schools? Remember that? You had all kinds of celebrities and people like Dr. Phil who likes to exploit individuals on his program. You have all these individuals who are making commercials and PSAs and we gotta tackle this. And then the federal government gets involved. They say, okay, if you could show that you're decreasing bullying incidents, we would give you federal money to participate in our stop bullying campaign. But you gotta show decrease, right? To qualify for more money. So what did school systems do? They started to determine that racial bullying is more like horseplay, children being children. And would not typically qualify under the banner of bullying. Isn't that ironic? We have reported right here on Indisputable of black children committing suicide, attempting to at times unsuccessfully. And to many, this still is not a problem. This is not an issue worthy of policy dynamics. Uh, Jackson, this is very sad because you and I both understand the, the true psychological effect that this can bring on a child that may internalize this or at some point act out. Yeah, and there's you know several elements to it. Obviously, one of them were the you know foundational cultural elements of you know how this country came up, how it was put together, um, different things that we've overcome, but not fully. Um, and yeah. we see this through examples like this, also through policy shifts, but also too an element of kind of the stick it to the libs culture, where things that aren't funny are made to be funny, like. What you pointed out really ultimately is just bullying, but too, just kind of that whole element of the right wing of just kind of, you know, poking it at people's identities in some type of way to get reactions. So there's kind of that edgelord element to it as well. But one of the real problematic things about this is how long it can take for societies to get over much of anything. Um, And also point to just the real elements of human nature. That we have to manage properly, um, that we have to take care of, um, that we all in our personal lives have to do our best to love one another because of how it can impact uh, you know, the world around us if we don't. Right. But again, I mean, these are kids doing this. So, I mean, it, it could be 20, 15, 20 years before these kids grow out of that way of thinking if they ever do at all. And then, of course, the ones who don't will pass that on to their children. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it's just a cycle um, yep. that we have to keep on fighting against. And and we know good and damn well racism is learned. It is a taught behavior. It is a taught behavior. I don't know why, uh, but Cam Newton was jumped, um, and he didn't even lose his hat. Here it is. All right, let's put up the picture full mass. Let me bring your attention to something quite, quite amazing. In the screenshot of the conflict, that's Cam Newton in the middle, okay? As you can clearly see, his hat is still upon his head, okay? A video surfaced Sunday that appears to show 2015 NFL MVP champ Cam Newton involved in the scuffle. This was at a 707 youth football tournament in Atlanta. Very unfortunate that happened in front of young people. It seems to show Newton wear one of his custom made hats being shoved by three people near the top of a set of steps before the pushing, shoving, and grabbing moves toward a fence line. The video lasts less than 30 seconds before the altercation is broken up by police officer, uh, police officers and security. At the We Ball Sports, this was at Best Academy. Um, Best Academy is a remarkable institution, by the way. So Newton, number one pick in the 2011 NFL draft out of Auburn, does not appear to throw any punches. Um, luckily for them. They probably would still be in the hospital now. In the video, he threw no punches. He seems to be fending off other people uh, very successfully so. Uh, There was one punch thrown in Newton's direction. Um, It was unclear if it landed because it didn't do a damn thing to him. It is also uncertain what prompted the altercation. Um, I, I wanna say this, so while Many will look at that video and say, oh my goodness, people are being violent, this, that, and the other. Cam Newton did not throw a physical punch to anybody. Okay, you got to understand the context of this. That is a beautiful thing. He exercised restraint when he could have easily claimed self-defense and went full aggressive on everybody there. He did not. He simply wanted the conflict and combat to stop. So I applaud the dear brother. For operating in such a way. And uh, gentlemen, jumping somebody, man, that's so 1988, man. Come on. All right, Jackson, thoughts? I, I want to know what brand of hat he had on and whoever it was, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Give him a lifetime endorsement, you know, or just use it. I don't know. Just he needs something for that. You know? Yeah. He definitely need that. I want to know what type of hat that is because he got hair. I got hair too. I typically yeah. don't wear hats. So it's a custom hat. Back in the- Oh yeah, we'll see. We, we I, I gotta know. I gotta know. I probably can't yeah. afford it. I'm sure, but you know, <laughs> maybe someday I can buy it and then I can start wearing hats. That's right. He needs to let us know what yeah, hat he, he, he got to let us know what's up. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely commendable that he didn't swing at him because 
I mean, there's a he has a lot to lose too, yeah. you know, if he if he did get into that. So it's nice that it was broken up. But uh, yeah, I'm, you know, it, it could have definitely could have been worse. So it's good yeah. that everybody's okay. Yep, I concur. While on duty, this is a hell of a story. Put up the picture for a mask. Let me explain. Let me take you to a state called Mississippi. Mississippi police officer has been fired after accusations of stealing a $140 pair of shoes. Uh, while in uniform, by the way, Robin Connor allegedly stole the item from a Dick Sporting Goods at 12 p.m. Wednesday, February 21st, while on duty, dressed in full uniform, using her patrol car. Following her arrest, Connor was jailed, charged with misdemeanor shoplifting and granted an $862 surety bond, which means her signature got a wrap. Columbus City Council unanimously voted five to zero to terminate Connor the next day. Connor joined the force in 2022. In an interview with Columbus Chief of Police, Joseph Daughtry, quote, an employee observed them and detained the officer and called 911. We're putting her in jail. It's embarrassing for the department, but we're going to treat her like we would anybody else. Put up a picture again. You know, if she would have just shot an unarmed black person, she would still at least be suspended with pay. So sad. The chief continued, quote, we have a job to do and we're held to a higher standard. And the community is just starting to trust us. And to take this gut punch really hurts. That's why we fulfilled our obligation, not only to the store, but to the community. Uh, the scandal is just a new source of contention in a department marred with controversy. Last year, a pair of officers were fired for excessive use of force during an arrest. But you, you know what? Uh, and let's put that up, full mass. You know what? They were not uh, fired the next day by unanimous vote by city council. All right, Jackson, thoughts here. She could have just waited a week and a half till her next paycheck to buy the hundred forty dollars shoes. <laughs> like you ain't even steal nothing. Like like you, if you go steal something, look, man. If you go, if you gonna risk it, then at least make it worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like otherwise, you could just wait six or seven days and you're gonna get paid. So, you know, that's all she had to do. But uh, yep. hey, you know, we all have choices in life. There you go, and consequences. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this is a very disturbing video, all right? So a dad is caught confessing, confessing to his son's killing on a ring video doorbell. Here it is. Oh, hello, hello. <laughs> David, talk to me. <laughs> is he alive? Is he oh, breathing? He's oh, he's not breathing, he's dead. But why, David? Why? The fighting on the way home was unbearable. And we got here and just from one second to the next, he was going to go to the keys. He was going to go with Jacob. He was going to fight girls. Would it be okay if girls go and sleep over? I said no. And I told him no. And I was going to go over there tonight and make sure. He says, well, all right. You know. I'm sorry. It's not your fault, Odie. Julie heard you. Julie heard you. Julie heard you. I'm sorry. It's not your fault, Odie. Please call my brother. I, Where's I just your brother? To him. Where's your brother? Please. 
Where's your brother? He shouldn't go to jail. Man, this is so sad. Man, put up the picture. <clears throat> Miami-Dade County. A ring camera footage shows the moments after 52-year-old father, David de Jesus Patres, confessed to the fatal November 3rd shooting of his then 22-year-old son, Eric, a Florida International University student who was planning to celebrate his November 6th birthday with his family. It was not immediately clear what the argument between the father and son was about or how it escalated to gun violence. Prosecutor's father fell in the case on November 5th, and the father appeared in court for his arraignment hearing shortly after, where he pleaded not guilty to a second-degree murder charge. The ring camera video shows the father speaking to his wife from outside of their home after the shooting occurred moments before he was arrested. Quote, is Eric alive? Is he breathing? Asks his wife. He's not breathing, he's dead. The fighting on the way home was unbearable. End quote. The father called 911 in body cam footage obtained Friday by NBC6. Police officers arrived at his home, officers with guns drawn asked the father to, the dad to come out with his hands up. The video shows he did comply with the police as he cried while being taken into custody. And he kept saying, I shot my son, I shot my son. Um, David told police this while sobbing. He then directed police to where the home, uh, to to where the body was inside of the home. Detective um, Andre Martin, a spokesperson for the Miami-Dade Police Department, described the murder as a domestic violence incident. Officers arrested the father, took him to the correctional center where he was held without bond. Um, the father appeared in court. For an author hearing on Thursday, which is a procedure to allow for consideration of bond, the judge ruled that he will continue to be held without bond until his next court appearance. We're going to follow this story. I, I, I can't imagine the pain of the rest of the family, that the mother and um, and others, who I mean, this is this this completely flips everything in a person's life, and then the the 22 year old who's in college. Having the last moments of his life, his father has a gun pointed at him and he shoots. This is so damn sad. All right, Jackson, thoughts, man? Yeah, I mean, especially right when basically his life was going to get started in the sense of him right. being able to more so discover who he is, uh, what he's made of. Um, and a lot of his biggest challenges he didn't even have a chance to face. Yep. Um, but I think the important thing is that with that being on camera, I mean, there's really no way he's going to get away with this. And right. I don't expect him to garner much sympathy um, from a jury or from the public either. Um, so, yeah, I'm, it's about as tragic as it gets. It really is. Really is, man. And uh, dear brother, on that note, we appreciate all that you do. Thank you for your leadership. For those who would like to follow you, check out your great work. Tell them where to go. Thank you so much. It's always good to be here with you. Check me out at youtube.com slash at politics and paper. I do daily streams and I'm getting into a whole lot of other fun types of stuff. The membership program is centered around community service and helping getting people out to vote, not necessarily just with a federal focus, more so on local elections, getting people in city council seats, stuff like that. So again, check me out at uh, politics and paper on YouTube. 
Thank you, dear brother. We appreciate all you do, man. We got more. Bullpen is next. Stick and stay. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. All right, we have Mr. Stephen Kent, commentator Young Voices, uh, formerly the host of Right Now with Stephen Kent, a conservative libertarian YouTube show, and also, well, author of How the Force Can Fix the World uh, and editor of geekystoics.com. Uh, good to have you on the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. We're going to talk about Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, what it is, what it ain't, what does it lead to, and perceptions. I don't want to uh, presume what you know or believe about the concept. So I will allow you to give us your proclamation. I will then opine. Sure. So uh, Christian nationalism immediately becomes divisive because uh, right off the bat, yeah, we're reacting to how we feel about the word nationalism. It evokes a lot of different feelings. And I will tell you, I myself have had beers with some of these so-called Christian nationalists in Washington, D.C., the types who might call themselves Catholic integralists. Uh, These are individuals who would like to see a monarchy renewed in the United States, dispense with liberal democracy, uh, and reinstate the authority of the Vatican. (laughs) So these individuals are real, uh, and to them, Christian nationalism is the identifier that sums up their ideology. Uh, But we're talking about this today because Politico did a piece where they profiled Russell Vaught and a handful of other so-called Christian nationalists who are around Donald Trump and would be part of his second administration. And these individuals, particularly Russell Vaught, defines Christian nationalism very specifically. And if I may, I'll just read what he wrote just a couple of months ago. He said, an orientation for engaging in the public square that recognizes America as a Christian nation, where our rights and duties are understood to come from God, and where our primary responsibilities as citizens are for building and preserving the strength, prosperity, and health of our own country. It's a commitment to an institutional separation between church and state, but not the separation of Christianity from its influence on government. You know, well, let me respond to some of that because there's a factual inaccuracy in that proclamation. Uh, this was not founded as a Christian nation. And, and if, if we don't at least discuss that point, I think the rest of it is, is not genuine. We were not founded as a Christian nation. As a matter of fact, a whole lot of the, the founding fathers were deist uh, and openly criticized traditional Christianity. And the entire concept of the foundational argument to create the experiment known as America was to get away from this Christian monarchy rule and establish an independent cohort known as the United States of America. It took some time, obviously, for the independence, independence to become um, a reality. But that was the concept. Now, do you disagree with anything I've just offered to you? Not necessarily. I do think it's important that you note that uh, there were deists within the founding fathers. Uh, Benjamin Franklin is is one such person uh, who he sort of just in general believed in higher powers and but higher. They believed in enlightenment. They believed in enlightenment and, and you seeking that enlightenment 
through through your direct channels of higher self consciousness, spirituality, etc. But as far as this, not be- through yours, but through objective uh, higher goods uh, and objective senses of authority. And I don't think we disagree on this point at all. So, why do you think people who are well educated, they took some history classes. Why do you think people still say that this was founded as a Christian nation? Why does that happen? Hmm, why does that happen? I mean, I'm sure you would have a theory about it, but I would say that it comes from uh, the language of God, heaven, higher authority, and power uh, that is so inherent to the great speeches of American history, the farewell address of George Washington, that just discussion of God uh, is baked into so much of early American history. And then it experiences a bit of a revival uh, in the late 1900s through the government. But you know, the conservative movement is disenchanted with liberal democracy and liberalism as a whole. Um, They are quite content at this point to throw out the idea that government should be impartial and simply mediate law between conflicting interests and should take a perspective. And this is probably where I actually agree with them. Uh, I come from the libertarian world uh, and we support and and would prefer to see a government that is neutral uh, and just sort of maintaining the interests of different factions. Conservatives will contend that there is no such thing as neutrality. And they argued this when it came to the whole drag queen story hour thing, where you have some drag queen come to your kindergarten school and read books to your kids, that that is not neutrality, that it's actually the government taking a position about what is good, acceptable, worthy of being in front of children. And I think that they have the high ground on that argument. And libertarians are probably going to have to come to grips with this because there are things that we do tend to agree are not worthy of being in the public square. You know, that's interesting to me. When you say public square, Mm -hmm. it indicates that this is something available to everyone in this public community. Right, and there are these rights allocated, freedom of speech, etc. However, um, minors don't have rights per se; they don't have all of these constitutional rights. Oh, they they do not, sir. I mean, we can argue that if you would like to. They don't have the right to bear arms. You're like they the the bad they, guy and the little rascals who says you're not people, you're kids. Well, I'm I'm saying exactly <laughs> how the law works. So you can argue the law. You don't have to argue uh-huh. against me. Um, the law does not recognize a child's right to bear arms. The law does not recognize um, a child's freedom of speech inside of a school setting. You know that. Hell, they can't even wear the clothes they want to wear. They have to follow a dress code, something that many conservatives agree with. So you acknowledge they don't have the same rights as a as an adult, correct? Uh, I do not acknowledge that. You I, don't I can't. I can't, I can't pull up the Supreme Court case right off the top of my head mm-hmm. here, but the free speech in school, right, would pertain uh, right directly to uh, the ability to not say the pledge of allegiance in schools. Where it was but also the a case in nineteen. No, sir. It was also a, a case in two thousand eleven, in which California passed a bill which would prohibit. Kids from going to like EB Games, GameStop used to be called EB Games, and purchasing violent video games without parental consent. Uh, The Supreme Court and the opinion was written by Antonin Scalia, penned that 
Kids do, in fact, have free speech rights to purchase violent video games without mediation from their parent or guardian, which is actually a remarkable decision because it applies directly. Well, brother, to you take it. You take it, this whole thing completely off course. Let me let me bring you back to the train track here, okay? Uh, because you actually just proved my point. I don't think you realize what you what you've done. Here it is. There's a restriction allocated to minors for basically every single constitutional right that one has. Mm-hmm. So a student inside of, let's say, a middle school cannot drop the F-bomb without the government penalizing the student. It's called- Oh, suspension. sure they can. Have you ever been in a school? Yes, sir. I, I work in schools, <laughs> sir. They can um, do whatever drop, they want. Maybe even no, smack No, you obviously the do not work in schools. If you drop the F-bomb inside of a school setting, you get in-school suspension first time. Second time, you typically but get- But suspension policies are racist. Have you not heard? If it creates yeah, you, racial inequity in the schools, you can't you're suspend students. You're, you're you're trying to deflect no, I'm from just, the argument. No, I'm just I've got Hold kids on there, in brother. School. I'm gonna get like, I'm these gonna get policies to you are, are real. I'm gonna get to you to your point in a moment as you try to deflect. But if you drop the f bomb inside of a school setting, middle school, whatever, mm-hmm. the school has the authority, and the school is the government. It's a governmental mm-hmm. entity. Yeah. They have the authority, reinforced by the U.S. Supreme Court. To suspend, remove, or otherwise discipline appropriately mm-hmm. that student, which proves the restriction of the freedom of speech. Now, that's, I don't know why it took so long for me to help you see that point. It's a simple no, my apologies. I think, no, you are right. They do have the authority. Maybe I'm, what I'm contending is that they don't uh, believe in using it. Uh, anymore. I, so. I don't know who the they are, but the institutions I work with, they do utilize it. Um, mm-hmm. Some schools, in my opinion, especially especially those where uh, white students hurl the N-word at black students, which is bullying, etc. They don't get suspended or they mm-hmm. don't get disciplined. That is a problem. All right. So that challenge we've seen right here on Indisputable via reporting. But let's get back to the Christian nationalism dynamic because sure. definitions are one thing. But who's controlling the narrative is the actual genesis of this entire debate and argument. Christian nationalism can be just as diverse as every other Christian doctrination alive, period. You have people that will believe this, others believe that. Mm-hmm. But who's controlling the narrative in the political sense, the extreme version of the narrative? has significant power over the number one candidate for the Republican ticket to be president. Do you disagree with that? I believe that he is taking advantage of them, yes. Okay, let's get into that. There may be some some common ground we have. I agree with you. Let me first start by saying that. I do believe Donald Trump is Mm -hmm. exploiting them. I don't think he's a Christian, Christian evangelical. I I don't think he gives a damn about it one way or the other. Now, he's exploiting them. Now, here's the thing, though, dear brother, and you have to acknowledge this. He's able to exploit them because of a level of indoctrination they have already endured. Do you get the cause and effect here? There's a connection between the level of indoctrination that they have already endured and the indoctrination, the indoctrination that comes with that, and Donald Trump exploiting it, understanding the psychology connection. Between blind faith and what seems to be a cult leader now. So I'm going to argue something different, actually, okay. which is 
that he is taking advantage of uh, Christian nationalists, the evangelical movement, um, and they are allowing it to happen. Uh, I don't actually accept the narrative that they are being duped in any way, shape, or form. Um, this is a movement uh, that is about power. We're talking about Christian nationalists here and the yeah. new political right. power, right? Uh, they want political power and Donald yep. Trump is a mechanism uh, in which they can achieve it and have it back. Um, so there is very much a, a trade-off here where both sides are getting a thing that they want. Mm -hmm. Trump is getting voters uh, and they are getting a person who will enact their preferred policies and remove neutrality uh, from the US government. Um, so I, I don't think that anybody's being fooled. Yeah, I, I disagree. I, we've had them on the program. There are some real Kool-Aid drinkers, brother. I, I get your point. You're <laughs> saying there's a transactional relationship and, mm -hmm. and people are kind of doing the wink and nod thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We know Trump's a Christian, right? So I get that and I do believe that's accurate. And there are mm -hmm. people inside of the party or movement who believe that. But I also believe that there are some true Kool-Aid drinkers who are very authentic about their belief and approach and will give Donald Trump their last penny because of that belief structure. But let's talk about Christian evangelicals and the Christian nationalism mm -hmm. dynamic in America. You have people like the late Billy Graham, right? One of the most influential Christian evangelicals America has ever produced. He was a non-factor. That movement was a non-factor. Let me put it this way. That movement was a non-factor in the 60s in America as it relates to the freedoms of black people and otherwise disenfranchised folk in this country. As True. a matter of fact, the King camp would tell you it was the Billy Graham camp who said, no, 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 no. We gotta do this thing gradually. You're moving too fast here. Mm -hmm. So if left to Christian nationalism, we would still be in 1968, 69. So their effectiveness spiritually, I'm talking spiritually, ethically, okay. morally, etc. Their effectiveness to say things like, well, well, we want to have bias, we want to have position, we want to have these things that America is now saying, well, we gotta be neutral. Well, realize taking a position is one thing, but taking an antithetical position to progress is another. And they took an antithetical position to progress as it relates to black folks. I think this would actually be a good good moment to, to talk a little bit about how natural law has played into these debates. Because I think what you're saying- What's your definition of natural law? Let, let's define that first, if you would. Uh, sure, so natural law would be rules that come from something other than ourselves about the way that the universe works. Um, that's, you know, you can get it from a million different people in a million different ways. Well, it's, uh, it's, But they it's, are laws that, uh, Precede man. Okay, well, like a cosmic law, universal law. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about social laws, right? Or social That's laws. That's right. We're talking you, about cosmic law. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and so you mentioned that uh, Christian nationalists, uh, you know, if it were not for them or if it were for them, we would not have like the civil rights movement integration today. My problem is that uh, the media that reported this story, Politico, on Christian nationalists, they define the one thing that brings all Christian nationalists together, the one thing that defines them in their view. And here we have uh, a complete incoherence about what Christian national, it, nationalism is, which is that what defines them is their belief. In this idea, this radical notion that we have natural law, that our rights come from God and not from government, which by that definition, 
Martin Luther King would be a Christian nationalist. And so it's really well, they're, it's they're really important. On the it's definition. really important that we, you know, clarify. Yeah. Uh, but you know that you, you know is. that that definition was wholly inaccurate. Well, make your case. So the definition of Christian nationalism, you have already made my case, brother. When you said it is about political power. So if you have submitted on my show that Christian nationalism is about political power, you cannot then double talk and say Christian nationalism is about anything moral or God's law because political power is not cosmic law. Well, I'm not making that case. I'm restating Politico's case. I understand that's and I restated that they were wholly inaccurate in the definition of mm-hmm. Christian nationalism that you decided to use to compare to the great Dr. King, who damn sure wasn't down with Christian nationalism. He was fighting them, sir. By the media's definitions and their the media, secular worldview. You're talking about one company. He would be, and this is nope. the importance uh-uh. of this conversation. See, I, I won't let you do that here, brother. You're talking about one damn company. I said on record, that mm-hmm. definition is wholly inaccurate. There are people who are not Christian nationalists who believe the same thing. There are True. folks who are Christian nationalists who do not believe that at all. So you cannot give a blanket uh, broad stroke because one media company and one person in that media company defined it as such. Okay. Right? I don't know. (laughs) I'm just restating to you the reason that we're having a conversation in the first place. All right, so you know and I know the comment was inaccurate as far as the description of Christian nationalism. Uh, Dr. King was not anywhere near associated. Oh my with God, he's not a Christian nationalist. I'm trying to tell you this. Yeah, I know. He's not I'm a saying. Christian nationalist unless you go by flawed definitions of that Christian nationalism. Point, uh, Dr. King yes. was a natural rights adherent in the long tradition of American enlightenment uh, and and law. Um, yes. So that's what we're talking about here. But the reason for this discussion is because if we're going to raise the alarm about Catholic integralists and Christian nationalists, we need to actually know what it is that they believe. And it's not natural law that brings these people together. It's a belief that the United States government and liberal democracy cannot uphold virtue. That is what unites these individuals. So just to be clear. We have different definitions of virtue, for example. I think it's virtuous. I think it's virtuous for um, an individual to not be judged based on the color of their skin. Agree. I think it's also virtuous for your zip code not to define your economic reality or opportunity at higher education. Such as what school you might have to go to? That's correct, dear brother. I, I believe <laughs> oh, these things are virtuous. Now, if if it's virtuous, then there's a responsibility, a societal responsibility to that virtue. Because every single virtue that we talk about must be respected by the person next to you. And if it's not respected, that virtue be damned. Because outside of the proper societal construct, the virtue is simply a good idea. No, no, that's absolutely right. In in Lewis's Mere Christianity, he writes about this. 
um, and contends with the idea that the left and the right, both you know Christians in this context, might want to use government to enact their virtues. And he says, oh. a Christian society will never arrive until most of us truly want it, uh, and that we're not going to arrive until most people are Christians. You cannot force a Christian society. You actually have to have virtuous people. Right. Uh, and there was a time, though, at which the United States government, in the spirit of Benjamin Franklin's sort of deism, did actually promote virtue with its own resources. Do you have any memory of the Book of Virtues animated series in the 1990s on PBS? No. No. This is fascinating stuff. So this animated TV show on PBS was written by two Ronald Reagan alumni and had three seasons in which every episode taught things like honesty, loyalty, courage, um, you know, family, stuff like that, using animated characters and drawing on the teachings of not just Aristotle, Plato, Christ, but also just sort of secular folk tales and Aesop's mm -hmm. fables. A government-funded television outlet uh, promoting virtuous ideas, uh, ideas about what good is. And that actually does require a government to know and have an opinion about indisputable truths. <laughs> uh, Brother, I, I think that's, I agree. that's good to have. Listen, man, I agree. I, I will tell you one show I did watch. Listen, man, I, I was born in 1981. Uh -huh. So uh, Captain Planet, mm -hmm. remember him? Oh, See, yes. That, that, that was virtuous to me. You could not have a Captain Planet talking about the environment today without it being all the liberals are trying to brainwash individuals. Well, listen, man, cause and effect is a reality. You trash the earth, the earth does not respond as appropriately or adequately to the life that it sustains. As within, so without. As above, so below. These things are all connected, dear brother. Would you not agree? I would. And the politicization of everything has made people close-minded to very simple things. Uh, like it is generally good to have a television show that does promote having clean air and clean uh, water. Uh, but you might want to draw a line at, say, worship of the earth itself, uh, but just an appreciation and love for it. Yeah, but even if somebody decided that's their religious belief, um, they should still have access and protection as anyone else in this world. As they there do. you go. That's right there, brother. All right, man, this has been a fascinating conversation. <laughs> We're going to have you back. Thank you for being All on right. the show. Thank you, Dr. Right. Reggie. Absolutely. Okay. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Indisputable is still the fastest growing news show in America. We tell the truth on Indisputable because the truth is indisputable. Listen, no matter what you do, don't allow the politics of ideology to evaporate the soul that still exists inside of you. They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform, so I won't stop. You won't stop either.